0: Listening to Out of the Box with Rosie Tran. If you guys like us, please go on iTunes and subscribe, and also Stitcher Radio and leave a review. I'm here today with Mick Betancourt, executive producer of Ironside on NBC. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Co EP, co executive producer. Uh oh. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You're like I am not the executive producer. I have to mind
1: my title. (laughs)
0: <laughs> How are you today? I'm
1: good. I, I I'm liking the setup you have here. It's very cool.
0: In my apartment with the curtains creepily closed.
1: <laughs> it's nice. No, I think like it's such a cool uh, thing now that this technology is accessible to artists. To so there's no more barrier to your audience, which is phenomenal. You just have to have the courage to go and handle your business.
0: Um, I do think it's cool, but sometimes I've been to like, you never know what you're going to get. Like I've been a guest before I started podcasting on several podcasts. Well, actually more than that, but, and sometimes I was in a nice studio and sometimes I was at someone's house, which was fine, but it's like. Because there's no barriers, sometimes you don't know where you're going or whose house. You're like, should I accept this podcast guest (laughs) request? Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're like going to this guy's apartment in the valley? Like, I don't know.
1: No, I'm doing a podcast. There's no mics and there's no computer. It's a podcast. It'd be fun. Just come by.
0: (laughs) You have to wear a swimsuit. What? Yeah.
1: This is a cosplay podcast. What?
0: (laughs) What's going on here? No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I wanted to ask you about, um, you're one of the inspiring people to me. You know, I've known you for a long time. And um, I know we had lunch recently. You were talking about your transition from, you know, being a struggling comic and stuff like that and, you know, doing whatever to working your way up, you know, kind of like the Hollywood dream, basically. Sure. And so I just wanted to chat with you about that because I think it's really inspiring.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I moved here 11 years ago to be a comedian and a writer. I didn't know about well, an actor which was going to happen first and I'd hope to direct and I really didn't want to. Where would wanted- you move from? Chicago.
0: Okay, we have a theme here because I think every single person has been from the Midwest on my podcast. Yeah.
1: It's a great place to grow up. I mean, although my story is probably a little crazier than maybe some of your other guests, maybe not. But um, I still absorb that kind of work ethic and that kind of humility that comes from growing up there because people can't real you can't walk around acting like your shit doesn't stink because people check you right away. And I kind of like that. You know, you just kind of, it's not like knowing your place, but you understand that you're a part of something, that you're a part of a community. You are not the community. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it informs all of my work decisions and it informs my work ethic.
0: It's a lot. Well, you're saying that um, you can't be kind of <coughs> hollywood which is more...
1: You can, yeah, I you mean, can you, have that you, kind of air. You know, there's this idea that you have to act like a star to be treated like a star. And I've seen it. I mean I've worked with Academy Award winners, Emmy Award winners. I mean, I've had the opportunity over the last eleven years to really work with some very, very talented people. And I have found that without almost without exception, the really most talented people that are just like that you that have that thing that everybody talks about like they're more that. humble and hardworking. Absolutely. <clears throat>
0: Um, if you have to choke That's fine Just yeah, let me know Yeah I'm sorry You know I'm trying to, <laughs> Just, say, like, just yeah. say hey I'm choking And then we'll edit yeah. it out
1: <laughs> I, No I just crushed Like a giant thing Of orange chicken <laughs> At the uh, city walk Over on <laughs> the Before I came over So right. my gullets are stuffed <laughs> But th- we're gonna pull us off It's a couple of professionals Here Rosie This podcast is gonna bl- We're editing
0: shut, out The coffee.
1: Shut Stitcher servers down
0: <laughs> Okay Um. So you came out here From Chicago And then What like What was your path From being You know basically a comic just moving out here like everyone else and yeah. then being a co-executive producer of a major show.
1: Well, it was a lot of um, right place, right time, but being being uh, prepared when those opportunities came. You know what I mean? So, like, for as far as stand-up went, every night I was doing as many sets as I could. And, you know, I am still doing stand-up now and doing the podcast and writing and acting and doing shorts. And so, you know, I've kept that whole... You, one thing hasn't gone down. Although when I'm working on a show, my time, is yeah, I'm in between the show. shows. Yeah, it's mostly towards the show, but I'll still go up usually four times a month to perform. So I've never stopped. I mean, I don't think listeners stand-up. really
0: understand how extreme your transition is. When I first met you. I think it was at a bar gig in Long Beach, and you were naked on stage. So
1: no, I think I, was I naked or was I in the speedos? I think I was in the speedos, right?
0: You're in the speedos.
1: Yeah, that's still one of my favorite. If there's a, if there is an, although I, I do it much less now, um, because I was in better shape. But it's funnier if I do it now. I actually did that like.
0: It's funnier like when six, you're not in shape.
1: No, I know. I did it like six months ago. Usually, if an audience is just. Horrible. Like they've made a collective decision to dislike the show. But how do you
0: know to wear the Speedo or not?
1: Well, you know, if I know I'm going into a battle zone as far as like the you know, someone's like, Oh, this is a rough room, man. I'll do it just to have fun. It's more for me in the comics, but like I'll strip down a speedos and then I'll let like three completely awkward minutes of silence go. (laughs) As the audience is like weirdly, nervously laughing and not knowing what to do. Just so you
0: know, everyone's Googling you on YouTube right now. Like, yeah. What is, what is, what, is he, what is she talking
1: about? And then I just say, who here is serious about swimming? <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb. I love doing it. It's so dumb. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's funny. That Long Beach gig is a place called, I don't know if it's still there, What's called Taco Beach. Taco and we Beach. Would,
0: that's right. Yeah.
1: We would drive 45 minutes. To be able to do 20 minute sets For free And they would pay you In tacos
0: (laughs) I remember that Yeah
1: so like And that was a big deal Because they would Give you food I think
0: they did Ty Rivera
1: started there too I just called him the other day To do a gig
0: I think they do Drink specials But I don't drink So I I enjoyed the free tacos Yeah
1: (laughs) I mean you know To drive somewhere Almost an hour away To do a 10 or 20 minute Stand up set To get paid in tacos I mean you really Have to be committed You're not going to do that To waste your time I mean you have to be Passionate about the craft Of stand up comedy And I think that has to Transcend into whatever Else you're doing So if it's podcasting It's you don't want to divide your time so that nothing is receiving your full attention. But if you can juggle and manage a bunch of different crafts or or pursuits and commit to that level on each one, I think you're hedging your position for success in in any of them.
0: Well, I agree. And I think that's why I was so resistant to podcasts for so long, because I've had people begging me, oh, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. Oh, you should be my co-host. You know, this and that. And I. I'm the kind of person if I do something I'm all in or sure. nothing. Like I'm not gonna do a podcast and then two months later, oh, I can't get any guests or whatever. Like if I'm gonna do something, I do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. You had that. Why why do anything else? Otherwise well, you're people, wasting your time and you're wasting everyone's time who's involved.
0: I think a lot of people have this I've noticed, I, I know a lot of comedians also and just people in general, who get really, really excited about stuff and then they wanna do it and they get gung ho and they get hyped up and then they're super excited for like Two or three weeks Sure And then it gets A little bit hard And then they're like Okay
1: (laughs) Yeah I'm not
0: gonna do this anymore
1: How do you deal with uh, Things once the passion And the total excitement To do them Fades How do you deal With How do you deal when with them?
0: People go Oh well I guess I, This is not for me And yeah. so they're not Really committed to it Which is why well, I, was, I get it
1: But you know So you tried it I'm a big yeah. fan Of like trying something And then going Ah it's not But at least you tried Yeah 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 But then expecting Something for nothing Like expecting success Because just because You tried
0: Well Louis C.K. Says that He said he, you know He would always hear Comedians complaining About their career Wasn't going Where they wanted to go And meanwhile When he wasn't getting up He was writing He was directing shorts He yeah. was doing You know because he Actually directed A bunch of stuff before Sure Um, short films Pootie Tang (laughs) before Pootie Tang even there is a short film that he did with Jim Norton in it that I saw where Jim Norton I can't even remember so I don't want to talk about it but it it was like a little short
1: and there was the one with the jazz player that I think yeah yeah, the jazz player the trumpet player
0: do you know what it's called?
1: No. You, you can put Louis C.K. Short Films in Google and magic will But happen. yeah, so he,
0: he's got tons of stuff. So he was he was like, okay, well, I can sit here and complain about my career or I can do something else.
1: Well, that's like, like look, you, you're doing a podcast and there's no, it, it's going to be what you want it, it. It'll be exactly what you want it to be as long as you're willing to commit to the work. And I think you can, that translate into whatever you want to do. Like, There's never been an opportunity for artists to just access their audience ever. There was always a barrier to the audience, which was controlled by companies or networks or studios. And that doesn't... I mean, that certainly exists now, but all of that's going away. It's all going away now. And I
0: think that people in the system are scared shitless. Sure. I think a lot of them are scared shitless that the system is going to collapse.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you kick the dog a bunch and now the dog's it's going to bite you in your ass. I mean, and look that's a part of the business that has a negative slant to it. I have been treated very well. I've worked for the last 10 years in that environment and I've worked with very talented people, studio network executives that were super smart that added tremendous value to the show. But there's also a whole other side of that business where, you know, artists are, you know, they're, they're viewed as um, the poor price of doing business.
0: Like disposable or
1: whatever. And you know, now people can go out and again, it, it requires effort to go out and create and build your own audience, but then you have to put, what is it, your money where your mouth is and say, if I think I'm this special person with this unique voice, well, here. Then, <laughs> then yeah, then now you have to go out. You, the audience has to, you have to develop that and, and put that out into the world and see if anyone comes back. Like, look at a guy like Ari Shafir, comedy store comic, has his podcast in Joe Rogan's camp. Good guy. I've had him on my show, but he stuck by his guns for, what? 13 or 14 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, Just developing his own stand-up. And a lot of times the people in the audience didn't necessarily respond, but he knew that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. And so now his audience has found him. And I think those guys just sold out the Chicago Theater or like the House of Blues in Chicago. Well, that's...
0: I mean, even before that, that's... I think Kathy Griffin did that. She said, you know, they weren't interested in her. So she started renting theaters on her own and doing it on her own because she didn't really have an audience. Yeah. Or just like... I mean,
1: the flip side is, and I've I've talked about this on other podcast so here's a great and whether this quote is true or not I, I think what she's saying is true if she said it or if she didn't but I'm pretty sure she did Whitney Cummings said Dane Cook went out and made America fall in love with them and she went to Hollywood to make Hollywood fall in love with her mm-hmm. meaning you know Dane wanted this this other type of success where she had a very specific goal in mind, which was to come to Hollywood and be successful in Hollywood, which is very separate than being a comedian that the world loves. You can do that on your own like Brian Regan. Brian Regan doesn't have a network deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but, but he makes probably $10 million a year managing his own you know, as a manager, puts together his tours and just does that. And that's who he is. And the audience loves him. And it's between him and his audience. And then there's, you know, the cool thing is now is there's just more options. I'm not saying that the Hollywood system's bad or, or that the indie way is good. You just have to find what speaks to yourself and then go do that and not torture yourself because you're not enjoying whatever, you know, there's so many options now. You can't say like, you know, I want to be on TV. Well, that's a very specific game to play. There are very specific rules to yes, that. Yes, it is. <laughs> You know what I mean, and, and you you can't bring the football to the baseball game and go. You guys should be playing football because they're like, no, fuck. This is this is what we do. We play baseball. So you want to play baseball? You yeah. put on a uniform, cleats. You grab a bat. You have a glove. That's first base. There's the outfield, and these well, are the that's, rules.
0: Well, that's something that I'm learning too, and I wish I would have had. I mean, I I would have been. Ugh, totally used Interviews by Hollywood If I had some sleazy manager Picking up at 19 And just Because I would I was so clueless mm-hmm. Like I was so clueless But I'm, that's what I'm learning now is Well just, look
1: Most 19 years I mean look we, we think we're geniuses When we're 19 <laughs> And we're filled with A tremendous amount of passion And like gusto for life But you're 19 You're 19 You have 19 years on the planet You may have read a lot You may have a bunch of kind of old soul wisdom, but you've only been on the planet for 19 years. Yeah. So you have to cut yourself a break when you look back. Well, I mean,
0: in general, I I just had no idea what I was doing. I wish I would have had some like older mentor or something saying, hey, Rosie, this is how the system works. Because I kind of figured out the stand-up world. And I'm just now, which is crazy, been in Hollywood almost 11 years, <coughs> um, <laughs> and figuring out the the TV and film side because I just wasn't focused on that. And I didn't realize that it was a completely different world. Yeah. And I saw people getting deals through stand-up. So I just thought, well, I'll just focus on stand-up. And I didn't understand that game. So it's definitely different.
1: Yeah. I mean, everything kind of has, you know, there's the... Here's how Comedy Club's book shows. Here's how Indie Room's book shows. Here's how Bringer Room's book shows. Here's how YouTube works if you want to be a preferred user you know uh, you have to make x amount you can't go youtube you're i'm the real filmmaker youtube so change your shit to, <laughs> but people do that have that same mentality towards hollywood fuck you and your thing please cast fuck you please like it's this weird ebb and flow of desperation and then angst which only af- negatively affects you you know if that's yeah if hollywood doesn't care
0: if you're like in your apartment drinking fuck. jack daniels and
1: crying yeah, no one cares no one cares no one cares you maybe your mom create and, and get better every time you do it like is, is the thing you're doing now a little bit better than the last thing that you did and if so then there's progress and if there's no progress then ask yourself why that's not happening
0: well what I like about the indie system is that it's kind of like pure art like if you're frustrated and you're not getting where you want to be in the mainstream then you can at least go and create and be creatively fulfilled
1: absolutely and and it doesn't have to be on like a deep people don't need to go to a theater to see your indie film they can watch it on your phone now if they have a Vimeo account or a YouTube account it's unprecedented. Like you can just email everybody in your in your email contact list and say, "Hey, I just made this short. It's five minutes long. Take a peek. Leave a review if you like it. Can you please forward it to some of your friends?" And then you could, you know, what what like you would have to make a thing and find some place to screen it and then invite people and, and then use your it's, phonograph. It's a, yeah, it's and- a whole yeah, phonograph. <laughs> you have to shoe your horse, go through town, pass the settlers. It's horrible.
0: <laughs> okay, so you came out here and then and then what happened?
1: Magic. <laughs> <laughs> I came out here back and it was to, a struggle just like Chicago. uh right. yeah, just like everybody else. I came out, I didn't know anybody. I didn't really have I had zero connections here.
0: Did you did you come out here with a significant other, or
1: uh, I did. I mean, I'm still married now. I was married then, and uh, to a different person. No, no, okay. the same person. We've been <laughs> together for 20, 20 years, maybe twenty one. Oh so my gosh! I came out, and um,
0: did she know? Did she know that it was going to be roller coaster craziness out here? Oh,
1: she, well, yeah, but I don't think anyone prepares you for. I mean, to give you an example, like I had moved out here. Fuck! did I move out? I, September of 2001, because it was about three weeks after 9-11. So I got out and then was doing stand-up and then January's pilot season. So I'd been out for about three months and I auditioned for a show on CBS and I tested for it.
0: You went to testing? Yeah, I tested three months for year? it. Yeah. Wow. So I thought, well, this is
1: great, you know? And, like uh, it's so
0: easy to make it.
1: I know. <laughs> and I think that... Uh, um, I got an, uh, and my wife was in Chicago for six months, kind of fly. I would fly back and forth, uh, you know, maybe once or twice a and month. And
0: she's a civilian, non hollywoody
1: non Non-Hollywood. No, no, uh creative uh, aspirations. Um midwest girl you know what i mean right now she's a stay-at-home mom and which is great for the kids and us and that's what she wanted to do you know it yeah. wasn't like i was like you stay home i guess i'm not the, i'm like do whatever you want and she's you like stay oh, home I and i tell
0: good. dick jokes yeah
1: then you're gonna like it um and tell five of your friends to come see me no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah my wife's my bringer um so I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? So you came out here. She's flying back and forth every Yeah. Seconds. So, you know, you were saying like how things can be so crazy. Like, I got an offer for the show on Mulholland and Beverly Glenn. And so I called Chicago. I was so elated. I'm like, look, this is going to be great. You're going to come out. Money will already be started. It won't be a struggle. And then by the time I got to the bottom of the hill, um, my manager called me back and said, they made an offer. They only made an offer to you to scare the star. So Aww. the star. T- so I realized like really how tactical. And how ruthless This can be My pal Dwayne Kennedy uh, Who was a writer On the Mail Bell show was, that, was it On FX I don't know It just got canceled Unfortunately It was a great show But he had been out here And he's the only person That I knew That had actually Lived in LA And was then now back in Chicago And he goes Man they're gonna practice you. They're gonna practice They're gonna lie to you To practice lying I'll never forget that He goes They're gonna lie to you To practice lying And that's kind of And again I don't want to paint uh, Hollywood with one brush But
0: but that, that was the brush that was that was <laughs> at that so time. <laughs> I, I
1: experienced that story firsthand, but then i 've also had people that were so great, like the first all right so i 'm doing stand up and um, struggling, not really making any money, did the Montreal comedy Festival did premium blend, so you know i'm uh, did NBC late Friday I mean all of the shows that I could have done TV shows that I could have done when I moved here, I did pretty much. And it doesn't make, you know, you make a ton of money doing that. And I didn't want to go on the road because now my son was being born. So I got a job at Starbucks for the benefits and, you know, we're struggling financially. But yet I'm known, you know, I, I'm going up all around town. I'm known as a like a, a great comic amongst my peers and the cl- all the clubs are giving me spots, but I'm not making any money, you know. So I'm writing. I as, want
0: to reiterate that because I think a lot of people think, I'm, I don't want to cut you off, but I oh think no, a lot no, no. of people think that comedians, I had a friend that thought, that the twenty dollar cover goes to the comedians of the show.
1: Yeah, in most towns, with the exception of New York and L A, it does. And he, I was, mean, not. Mo- I mean, you know, it goes to pay the comedians. It doesn't go entirely to. He's
0: like, I didn't realize how little you guys were getting paid. I'm like, yes. We don't so buy merch, people. Yeah. Buy merch.
1: You don't get paid, doesn't matter if you donate I mean, money. Yeah. I mean, here's the cool thing, if, and obviously you're fans of podcasts, if you're listening to podcasts, what's happening now is you're having comics like myself, like Rosie, and many other people like Tom Segura, uh, Christina Pizinski, uh the um, Death Squad guys, very successful podcasts that are changing the game because what they'll do is they'll call, say, a music venue that's predominantly dark on Mondays, right? And they'll say, can I use your venue? You keep all the liquor sales and I'll keep the door. And so they negotiate these deals, no manager, just the comic. And the business owner and the audience. Again, less barriers of entry. Yeah. So that if you're a super fan of, say, your show and your fans want to come out and see you and they do want the $20 to go to you because they know your podcast's free and they know that you put a lot of work into it and they know you're going to give them a good show live will pay twenty dollars confidently knowing that that money's going to you
0: yes, Dan Hope was doing that
1: <laughs> yeah, so you know you have a very do-it-yourself indie scene happening now because the audiences or whoever's creative whatever you're doing storytelling is between you and the audience
0: well you have that you self-produce shows
1: I do I've been doing that for seventeen years.
0: yes, very smart <laughs> <laughs> Don't give money to the clubs
1: I was doing It's funny now But there was no podcast To really promote it So I couldn't do it In say like a tour Like a lot of Successful podcasts Can do now I would just do it In Chicago or I was A part of the community Had access to the comics That I wanted And I would rent out Music venues And rent you know 300 chairs And sell the show Out before the doors Even open Just to book with Just to book comics That I wanted to work with Because I knew I'd be on the show Mm -hmm. You know And that was a way For me to network Before you know I really knew What I was doing
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it sounded like you know, knew what you were doing to me. Yeah. <laughs> you just didn't know you knew what you were doing. I know. No. Um, okay. So, blah, 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 blah. My brain is having a brain fart. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, you came out here. You're working at Starbucks and you were writing a show.
1: Yeah. Well, I was writing during the day. I'd work at Starbucks from 6, no, 530 in the morning till 1030 write from 11 till 2 when my wife was going to go to work at a front desk at a hotel and she'd work from 2 to 10 but then my son would go to bed at 8 and then I would write some more and then on the off days I would do stand up so and I was writing so you were busy 7 days a week yeah yeah and I would do um you know I would I would work probably 5 hours on the weekends to have family time but um we were out here to do something as opposed to say Chicago where there were relatives that we could leave the baby with. I mean, it was just, excuse me. It was just difficult. It was just us. So everything was a hustle and everything was really elevated as far as the pressures and the anxieties. So I was writing ever since I was a kid, I really loved dramatic television, Miami vice and blue, even night Rider. I mean, all those shows, <laughs> I fucking loved them. So I thought, what if I could write? And, and, the the jobs i was booking as an actor weren't comedic so i was doing stand up and sketch shooting a couple short films that were comedic but almost all the roles that i booked were as a dramatic actor
0: so what is your true passion comedy or drama or both both both
1: yeah i mean it just, here's the best thing about getting older and and and, and people shit i don't know why you earned it you know what i mean like i i feel great like there's this phobia this about like peter pan thing like you have to be young and fuck you couldn't pay me to be fucking young again (laughs) it's so fucking horrible (laughs) i'm worried about bullshit that didn't matter i mean
0: so So let's go into this because this is important because i'm having a lot of like uh i told someone today i think i'm having my quarter life crisis like i'm having all this anxiety about turning 30 next year yeah so what is this bullshit that you're that is nonsense so i can stop worrying about it now
1: (laughs) Well, one (laughs) is like, you know, wondering whether people like you or, you know, whether you're important based on what other people think. You know, if you're not important to yourself, then fucking no one's going to treat you that way. It starts with you. You know what I mean? Do you think
0: that's a youth thing or just a...
1: Well, sure. There's a, you know, there's this desire to be accepted and be a part of, which is fine. I'm sure that's part of the human genome. But at the end of the day, you have to be happy with who you are and if you're not you have to be honest and and willing to do whatever work you need to do to change for yourself and not to appease other people and I think that's a big part of being young is wanting to appease and be accepted and now when you say do I like comedy or drama on the surface it seems like oh you asked me a question where there's choices so I should pick one right No, because I do both I did set last night at a comedy club i headlined a club sunday i do that that's who i am i am a comedian but i can also direct and i can also write and i can also produce and i can act dramatically and i can act comedically i can write both all at really high levels and i used to be embarrassed i'm gonna i can't tell the comedy people I fuck that (laughs) you know fuck that this is what i do i'm gonna continue to do it if you don't like it i hope you go fuck yourself
0: (laughs) i love it i love it (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's I none of my it. business Whether you like it or not It really isn't and Well that's, I do you know, love it Mick Well thank you <laughs> But that's what I'm talking about. It's really none of my business. You know, look, if my work is subpar and I'm doing it intentionally or I'm being lazy, then it is my business because you're telling me something that's negatively impacting you. But if it's just on the surface, you want to give me your two cents about what you think I should be doing in a non-constructive way or a a negatively critical way, I have no time for it.
0: See, I don't have an issue. I I know what you're talking about. I I had an issue with that one in my early 20s of being likable and having people want to like me and stuff like that. I don't have an issue with that as as much actually i've let go of a lot of
1: which is great caring
0: people's other opinions what i personally am still struggling with i think is uh i can't if it's like a stranger or like a friend i'm just like okay thanks for sharing like whatever it's your opinion but when it's people in my life like either relatives or like close family members i still like take it so personal sure and that's something that i'm just like oh how do i tell these people to shut up (laughs)
1: Well, there might be something there, you know, and then and I, I the same thing because you know these people know you; they've known you your whole life, and those are the those are the comments that can cut the deepest. But you just take them. All right, is there anything that they're saying that's legitimate now? Then I gotta let it go.
0: You yeah, it's tough though that.
1: because you know those are the people that really, really, really know you. So you're like, oh, really not a hard? Yeah, <laughs> are they are they telling me the truth or are they just fucking with me?
0: <laughs> well, sometimes those are the people too um, who might actually be cited because I know sometimes like they say you should never do business or it's not good to do business with family because yeah. sometimes, you know, like if say you owe, you lend your sister money, you know if you lent a stranger money, then you would be maybe more aggressive with getting it back but it's your yeah. sister and she can pull that, whole. Oh, I'm your sister. I don't think like, you should
1: ever lend money and expect to get it back.
0: <laughs> that's true.
1: Once you do that and you're like, All right, oh wow, I got it back that's amazing. I it never should be a, have...
0: a, a gift right? Like a yeah, just, surprise. Hey, well
1: no, say hey, you're borrowing a hundred bucks, awesome, here's a hundred dollars and then just never, just think about so it. you know that oh, I'm never going to see that again then that expectation is never disappointed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I actually... I've had to do Otherwise, that Otherwise, you're going
1: to fucking drive yourself insane and <laughs> send horrible emails and texts. They owe me
0: 50 cents. I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually lent people money a couple times and they didn't pay me back, but it was... um, What is it? It was like the way that they handled the situation, it was like I... I would have rather lost five hundred dollars and seen how they would react. Does that make sense? See how they would react than like spend a lifetime not well, knowing. Well, before
1: that. I mean, seeing that we're on the topic, I would love to borrow five hundred dollars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There, there's some phrase that I'm like
1: screwing up, but someone's 600 like six hundred if it's cool. <laughs> seven, seven, eight. I need eight, but if you have a thousand, that's cool. <laughs> Shut up. $1,000 <laughs> is good. <laughs> um,
0: okay we're totally off topic I know. so you're writing seven days a week where was the leap from struggling working at starbucks writing seven days a week probably driving your poor wife insane
1: <laughs> well i got um i asked a i booked a dramatic pilot and then i asked the guy who co-created that pilot if i could take him out to lunch and just talk to him about this idea that i had not to really pitch it to him but to to pick his brain yeah because as a comic and I've done this myself, you know. I, I I am so passionate about something, but because I'm so passionate, I'm a little disconnected from the reality. And I see, like, sometimes someone will say, "Hey, come see my show," and I'll go see it, and they'll bomb, and then they'll come <laughs> off, and they'll be like, "How fucking great was that?" And there is an incredible egregious disconnect from. It's called lap ears. Yeah. <laughs> and um. I My phobia is to not be that guy I just want to be very honest about where I'm at and what I'm doing So I said, listen, can I take you to lunch, tell you this thing And you tell me if I'm nuts Tell me if I'm super excited about something that, that, that doesn't merit that
0: But see, I think it's okay to be super excited about stuff Because how many horrible, I mean, there's obviously amazing projects But I've seen a bunch of horrible projects that were pretty successful That I sure. was like, oh, I didn't like that at all yeah. So it's still just someone's opinion
1: if you at, really believe at, in
0: it and you keep pushing it and pushing it, I mean, there's uh, Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter.
1: No, no, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. And listen. I'm never one to take away from somebody's dreams, but there, but there is actually something called self delusion. <laughs> <So, laughs> you're like, I didn't want to be delusional. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I just didn't, and you know, I, it could have been a horrible idea. So I, you know, I'm open to people who know. I
0: think. You're like the epitome of down to earth so i don't know if that would be <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he 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 knows like i want to go to people that know i need to go like we would go to open houses my wife and i uh, you know and, and and they were coming to repossess the car you know what i mean at this time yeah and i would go to open houses in beverly hills because i'm like i don't i can't believe these people are smarter than me like I'm not, you know, some may be, but like this, there can't be a whole town of people that are smarter than me. Like, and I would just go just to touch like the counters. I literally would just be like, this is a kitchen counter. That's where a fridge would go. This is a living room. I totally
0: like, agree with you. I think about that all the time when I'm focused on my goals. I'm like, they're, I'm like, these are just people just like me. Yeah. Like they're just doing something different. So what are they doing that I can like well, do, yeah, also I, do?
1: <laughs> not not like I view a house in Beverly Hills as like a, a symbol of success because I, I, I guess I would be... Considered I consider myself Successful in a way that I'm very happy With what I do and I feel like I can I make A positive contribution when I show Up to work as opposed to taking shit you know what I mean Yeah I show up to be service and So I, that's what I consider a success with that Being said I don't live in Beverly Hills you know what I mean
0: But I, you, in, I mean there's okay there's There's nothing wrong with visioning No I know success. but that's
1: what I needed to do I needed to go and say All right this is what People would consider successful because I didn't Really have a definition for that yet so I said, because uh, I was very early on the journey, and I'm like, well, let me just look at this. Let me just go and see how this would even work. Like if, I, if someone was coming in the door and they would set their briefcase down there. And, you know, because I didn't really, I had a very dysfunctional family growing up. I didn't have a tremendous amount of positive examples in my life. So I needed to kind of go out and, and find some wherever I could. So I called this guy, and I said, listen, man, can I just tell you this stuff? So we were we were at lunch, uh, and he goes, hey, I really think that that's a great idea. I'll go out with you on that. We'll, we'll go out and we'll pitch that together. I thought oh, it's great, man. I kind of knew what that meant, but not really. <clears throat> so he, we had to go to the production company that he had his deal with, and we kind of pitched them the idea, and they said, oh, that's great. Here's some notes, and we took the notes. That was my first experience taking notes with something that I had written and folding them into it. Then we went to the studio. Uh, that they had a deal with, and we pitched them, and they said, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they said, this is great, here's some notes, and then we'll go to the network. Now, when you go to pitch a network, an idea, they don't want to get super excited about something and then negotiate. So, so they
0: pretend like they're all not interested?
1: No, what they do is you negotiate before you go in. Oh. So, this you, is interesting. Yeah, so they know if they buy something, they know what they're going to pay for it. So, say they, you know, you go in a pitch, there's no that's just what happens. You know what I mean? So that they don't get super excited about something and no set monetary value is set before and then the price just gets crazy. <laughs> okay. The, the weird part of that is if you're broke like I was and this other guy was not, I got to see what I would lose if I didn't if we didn't sell it. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and it was a pretty substantial number. It wasn't a life changing number. It was the biggest number I'd ever seen up to that point in my life. And so we go into the network to pitch by Farmer's Market. And um, I thought it went pretty well. You know, we all talked, and this is going to be the show, and this is what the pilot's going to look like, and this is the kind of stories we'll tell throughout the first season. It's all new to me, you know, and it's kind of old hat to the guy that I was there with and certainly old hat to all of the people that were, you know, was the president of CBS. And it's crazy, you know, just all these really powerful people. So we're waiting by the elevator, and the guy from the production company says, you know what, let me just kind of go back in there and see what they thought and just thank them for, for hearing the pitch. So he goes in, and me and this so the kid are waiting for the elevator, and he comes back out, and he goes, hey, congratulations. And I go, oh, do they like it? He goes, oh, they bought it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh wow, you know. And then I was, I was like, well, should I just? Oh, I probably should act like, oh, this is cool, you know. Like, oh yeah, that's good, you know. Meanwhile, inside I'm fucking dying. I want to jump up and down, but I'm like, I should probably act cool about this. <laughs> so uh, it was great, and like, I thanked them. I'm like, oh, it's great news, guys. Good. So you, you really know, were like, just totally chill. I was totally chill, and then <laughs> everyone walked to their car, and I'm like, all right, cool guys. Now at this point, like, I should tell you before. Um, that you know to get there, uh, all of we had no money in the bank, like negative a dollar seventy two. I think I still have it framed. Um, all the credit cards had been shut down. Everything had been done. We were done. We were done. So, so what
0: I, was going on in your personal life? Was your wife just like ready to pack, or was she like, "No, babe, I believe in you"? Like, oh, no, we were it?
1: just just logistically, we were about two weeks away from having to go back home. I mean, uh, just okay. Fund- fundamentally, just like we got, it. we can't. There's nothing left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I went to go take uh, the car to go to this pitch meeting it was out of gas. So I went back in and I'm like, it's out of gas. She's like, well, then you can't go because we, we literally have no money. And so we were looking all over for change to go. And
0: oh my God,
1: I know. And then um, she goes, I, I think there was a credit card. I, she goes, I've been thinking about this. That's they sent out that we never turned on. So we, t- t- the <laughs> price and price we find a card between two folders and a file cabinet that we had, that we kept the bills in. And, uh, it had that 800 number on the back and we called and, and the lady, you turned it on. The lady's like, we sent that out like two years ago like, and I'm like total emergency. I need $25 or 30 bucks to get gas, to go to a job interview. Can you please, 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 please like super important job interview. So she's like, all right, fine. I'm going to, I think she put $25. On the card. So $25 limit on my credit card. And so I ran to the gas station, flew over the hill, parked and, uh, you know, so I had no money. And so after we s- found out that we were going to, that they bought the show, then I ran from CBS Pico to farmer's market. Cause I knew there were pay phones in the back of that outdoor farmer's market thing. And I had and to call her, I had to call her collect cause I had no money. <laughs> <laughs> and so she answered the phone and I'm just totally crying. I'm like, they bought it, they bought it. And you know, it was, it was just a magical moment. And that was my first, um, my foot in the door for the world of dramatic writing. I co-wrote that pilot. They wound up never shooting the pilot. And, um, you know, the money allowed us pretty much to square away most of the debt that we had and then allow me to have about that money I put in the bank after taxes and commissions and everything. It's funny cause everyone goes, Oh, you guys make a ton of money. And at certain stages you'll make what's great money. I mean, I was a truck driver in Chicago, so it's always good money to me, but you get taxed at, uh, 40%, my agent gets 10% and my lawyer gets 15%, so I wound up getting about 35%, anywhere oh between gosh. 35 and 40% of the money, which is look, if you <laughs>
0: you're like I'm happy but yeah, it, they please take a lot. do not I'm not
1: <laughs> bitching. I am totally fucking grateful, but you know like you were saying people think all the 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 door money goes to the comics there's just these weird nuances that I had no idea cuz when I first saw that number I had saw that number like a truck driver from Chicago I get half that number you know what I mean yeah
0: yeah yeah you didn't realize all the other things I didn't
1: understand that, that so soup and and again from where I came from to even getting that opportunity was fucking amazing so yeah uh, I, it allowed me to and then I and then nothing happened And then because we co-wrote it, everybody thought, because this guy was such a hot writer, that he was the guy that did everything. So then I... So you
0: kind of took some of your light away, even though he was helping, helping
1: you. Oh, more than helping. I mean, he showed me... He was kind of like my mentor, and I had never written a one-hour script before. So um, in a way, he did a lot of the... You know, showed me a lot of the structural stuff. I wrote, you know, we we split the writing duties right down the middle, you know, and... um, So then I had to go and write something on my own, an original piece, so that I could be staffed on a show on my own because we weren't a writing team. We had just collaborated on that one project. So then there was the next great leap of faith that I had to go out and figure, you know, create a story out of thin air that would, you know, that I could write a script about that would then be my calling card as a dramatic writer to go get. And that was the next thing So that was I did. that a
0: lot of pressure Because you had never written that
1: Right Well yeah I mean I had written in my own voice But certainly not in someone else's So when you write a spec You can write an original one Which is just a story That you're coming up Which is what I'm doing right now As a matter of fact Or you write a spec Of another TV show That you like So in this case I chose The Shield Because that was like Considered this gritty Edgy show at the time Still is But that's what I was being pitched at Is this gritty Edgy crime writer so I went to uh, Fry's and I, I, I rented the DVDs because I hadn't seen the show before. And I was watching, I was like, oh, this is a really good show. I have no idea how to fucking write one of these. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good show. And then in the, the bonus DVD extras, it said, um, in the writer's room. And I go, wow, that's, what's that all about? So then I watched that. And then it was Sean Ryan, who I've since had on my podcast and told him about this very story, um, who created The Shield, um, is sitting there in the writer's room. And behind him is a corkboard and it said like episode 207, but then it said teaser, act one, act two, and then it had index cards underneath it. And so I froze the, you know, I hit pause on the DVD player and I got to see that those were beats of the story. And so I got a legal pad and I just drew a little miniature version of that cork board with squares where the index cards would be. And, just and then just his f- format. I, yeah. Well, just how many of those cards were in each act. And then I filled in my own story my own original story into those cards. And then I wrote that.
0: Ah, and, um,
1: smart. Yeah, it's funny. So actually I skipped one, one beat. I got, um, things went down for like a year and then I got staffed on the show called the black Donnelly's, which was a short lived show on NBC. That was amazing. I actually got to be in the writer's room for that and see how to break that particular story that show got canceled so then I was out again and that was like another year without work and looking like oh I just got one job and that was it and then I wrote that episode of the shield and um, got law and order SVU from that and that was the job that kind of changed my life because I was on that for three seasons and it kind of established myself that this is something that I do it was great
0: so what does that mean being in the writer's room for people who don't really understand
1: how that works Well, the writing hierarchy of a dramatic show, and and I'm 99% sure it's the same with half-hour comedies, is staff writer, story editor, executive story editor, um, co-producer, producer, producer, supervising producer, co-executive producer, and then executive producer. So staff writer is your beginning position, and executive producer is the top of the food chain.
0: So who is in the writer's room?
1: in the writer's room is uh everybody and they're usually the executive producer up to probably a producer will do what's called run the board so there'll be a dry erase board or there'll be cork boards and you will just basically beat out stories or flesh out stories so the showrunner who's the executive producer will say all right um we're going we're gonna to do a three-episode arc about Rosie's podcast, and the first one's going to be whether or not she's going to do it. The second one is she tries it and fails and wants to quit, and the third one is Stitcher contacts Rosie and says, we, we believe in you, don't quit, and then she collaborates and takes her podcast to the next level. So, yeah,
0: that's right. Listen to that, Stitcher. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so then the, the room would then break those stories. And then they would just, you'd just start throwing up ideas. Okay, who are the players here? So we know we have Rosie, and then Rosie's got uh, her husband. And then. So is there
0: like a hierarchy? Like if you're a staff writer, like you can't really talk that much, or like, because you're at the bottom of the food chain, or.
1: You know, it's, there's different. ways to run a writer's room. And sometimes there is no writer's room. I mean, there's, I've been on two shows where you have an office and everyone kind of collaborates in a very loose way and you have your own dry erase board and you just come up with everything on your own. And then you pitch it to the showrunner. They give you notes, you do your outlines and then go to, go to script. And then there's, I've been in, you know, full, the biggest writer room I've ever been in was 14 and the smallest was six. So, and again, each uh, show runner, he or her runs it in their very own way. There is no set way to do it. Some people want staff writers to just sit there and be quiet and learn, and other people want everybody, including the writer's assistant, who's just there to literally transcribe everything everybody says and put them in a understandable, copious notes at the end of the night so everyone can read through what was discussed during the day and then bring that into the writer's room the next day with any new ideas.
0: Is there, so there's no hierarchy, like a writer's assistant can't like go up or...
1: No, have you obviously you know some people promote from within, some people don't. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty wild. You would think with the money at stake, because I think a drama right now is about three and a half million dollars an episode. It takes about two weeks to do an episode, not including posts. So overall, probably three total time put in. It's eight days prep, eight days shoot, um, yeah, maybe three. So a million dollars a week, of uh, and two hundred plus people that you're managing. A lot Yeah <laughs> It certainly is
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, So you're doing that and, and now you're You're doing great And things are wonderful No more change Digging for change
1: No more digging for change <laughs> But uh, you know I was on a show called Ironside. that was on NBC and, you know, it was uh, canceled and it was a great cast and crew, but the show just wasn't meant to be. So I rented an office that's not too far from here. And, uh, you know, I got a dry erase board on the wall, just like I was going into a, a regular staff board. job. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I break story and I'm writing and... I'm super excited because it you, you have to keep, and I talk about this on my show a ton, you know, you got to keep working the hustle muscle. It doesn't matter. You just keep going.
0: Well, I want to talk about the McBetton Court show because you're- just do it. <laughs> <laughs> because you're doing great. Um, and I want to know what, when did you start podcasting and what made you decide to, you're having all this success in Hollywood and you're doing, sounds like, you know, learning to deal with the system. And then- you start the patent Court Podcast.
1: Well, I was, I really want to get out of my comfort zone this year. It was one of the just personal goals that I had because I felt like, you know, content. I didn't really know in my life what feeling content was like or even any shades of success. were all very short-lived. So I have been working, oddly enough, probably f- consistently for the last nine years. And I feel like I got content. And the work that I was doing was good, but I wasn't really pushing myself. So just, the
0: podcast was a way to push yourself?
1: Absolutely as well. Yeah. I, and, and also I felt like I didn't have access to this information when I was coming up. And this is just like.
0: Because you talk about the industry.
1: I do talk about the industry, but I've also had people on that were professional poker players. I've had Hitmen on. You know, basically what I want is.
0: I got to listen to the Hitman
1: episode. That's great. What yeah. episode? It's uh, Stephen Castello.
0: How do, how do you know a hitman other than being from Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that, that's it. That's do you have know some that's truck
0: it. driver stories?
1: <laughs> that's what happens when you're from Chicago. You know hitman. <laughs> but the real point of this show is it's, is it's a, um, the, the log line is half comedy, half drama, all heart. And I spent most of my career in comedy and in drama equally. And um, I believe you got to live your life with heart, you know? So I wanted to have people on who I thought had great stories that were successes by their own definition, that had overcome adversity and obstacles, and talked openly about that. Because I think people from all over the world, and the shows in 28 countries, and the show's doing really, really well. Um, we, we're we all the big fucking joke that you don't get until you get it is we're all the same person. We're all the same person. This guy in New York once told me, "He goes, kid, the only thing unique about your life is that it's happening to you." And that had a very profound effect on me because I can have all these different people from all these different walks of life and everyone wants to be loved. Everybody wants... Success. Everybody experiences fear and obstacles, and so everyone becomes so private about it. And I and I don't I don't buy that shit anymore. I just I think it's toxic and it's counterproductive.
0: It is toxic because what happens when you push those emotions inside is you get grumpy and mean, and other things yeah. happen. Well, nothing
1: happens. You fucking shut down. So like, there's you feel, especially well, you feel bad about yourself. Yeah, <laughs> well, especially with like younger people too. Right into the show, and they had this idea they have to be perfect, and they have to do all these things right, and they can't make mistakes. And if they do, everything's fucking over. And you know, it's just not true. But no, so I just wanted. Have an open, honest discussion about life, but also with people that I feel have very interesting stories to tell because it, I want it to be obviously entertaining when you listen to the show and I want it to be funny and I want it to be captivating. But when you walk away, you talked about motivation before we started yours. I want people to be motivated from the podcast, I want people to be informed and inspired. So that's the, that is the, the, my motivation for doing the podcast.
0: Well, what you were saying about people saying, thinking that they need to be perfect and they can't make mistakes. I, I see that a lot And it's actually The opposite of the truth People that are usually Super successful Have made tons of mistakes And tons of failures And that's something That usually successful people say That is the number one thing That taught them the most about life Was yeah. the more failures they had
1: Or they the- were successful In spite of their perfectionism Because if you're listening now Just Google perfectionism And like read up on it It's actually like a thing And you'll, you'll probably see more things Than you care to recognize In your own life Of what perfectionism really is Because I had Um Always thought perfection like a perfectionist is somebody that that things must be per, they they keep going until it's perfect, which is not true. They have an idea that things must be perfect, and when things start to appear like that won't happen, they shut down mm-hmm. because they can't. Their mind can't get around it not coming out the way that they saw it. Basically, their having high way.
0: expectations, which is a way to be beat 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 yourself up.
1: Yeah, but then the expectations are so high that that you shut down because you can't you just can't keep moving forward it's just a really cool like if if you're struggling with that you should go look at it because I I had very many shades of that but I didn't really understand what it was and I couldn't really articulate it and I'm not a huge fan of those guys like find your neurosis to justify your your weakness you know what I mean (laughs) I'm not that guy but I think you should know what you're up against in yourself so that you understand what things need to change if you're really serious about going where you want to go yeah that's true that's definitely true
0: um, and you also have this beautiful girl modeling for the McBethen Court. Oh, that's show. right!
1: Thank you very much. Yes, <laughs> it's a good. Uh, thank you very much for that. It was very cool. A lot of. Uh, it would have been much better. Thank God you did it because I was so close to and to, 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 to modeling it myself, and then Selfies Rosie. The iPhone? Rosie stepped in. I was going to wear the exact same outfits. With the
0: speedo, with the, the speedo Speedos comes back, and
1: my and my trident, my merman trident. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i actually got a really positive response about it too people were just like oh i, I think you may have gotten some listeners just saying no it was just great saying. no
1: thank you you've always been very cool <laughs> always helping me out which i always appreciate
0: yeah um yeah so people go listen to the McBencourt show it's, it's on stitcher and itunes
1: it's on stitcher and itunes and um i don't i've turned down um some fairly significant offers for sponsorship to uh So I just support family owned businesses and I do unsolicited ads. So when listeners write in and they're like, hey, there's this great mom and pop diner like down the street from my house, I will go and I'll try to find information about them and then I'll give them a free ad on the show.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Why did you turn on sponsorship? Just curious.
1: Um, One, I don't need the money. um, And I don't want to be... Wow, baller. Well, I I say (laughs) I live a very modest life. Like, I don't need, like... I don't... I just... I'm not like that hungry, hungry hippo. Like, more. Just fucking give me more. Like, I'll do the podcast, and then I'll get sick money, (laughs) and then I'll do TV, (laughs) and I'll get even more money. Like, no, the money I make from TV is fine. You know what I mean? Like, it's beautiful, and I'm totally happy with that. So I'm like, what can I do, like... To help others. Well, not that. Like, I, I... I like family-owned businesses. I think they get the shit, you know? I want to, again, I want to back it up with action. Like, I can talk the talk. Am I going to walk the walk? So, also, like, if, if there's cool bands or people are doing, like, cool indie stuff, they'll send me, like, like I just uh, did a shout-out to a band that emailed me links to their stuff. I'll watch it. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. there's no way to get, um, the only investment I do right now is in the listeners. So, if you leave a five-star written review, either on Stitcher or on iTunes, and you take a screen grab of that, you can email me at the Mick Betancourt Show at gmail.com and then I'll mail you out a free shirt which Rosie has modeled so you can go to you can actually go to her Twitter account and actually see what the shirts look like but that's the only way to get a shirt
0: you are. You need to block me from your email because I'm going to start sending in.
1: Yeah, yeah, just to get <laughs> Nick,
0: promote this. <laughs> promote this for me. I'm doing this show. Mick, I need you to promote <laughs> this. Like, oh, God, forget about no, it. No, you
1: know what? Sam Tripoli's coming by today and I'll, I'll give your podcast a shout out on that one for What's sure. What's up? Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that That's really cool, actually. I, I haven't heard of anyone doing that. So that's maybe I'll have to steal your idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and start helping some people. Um. So that's really cool. I like how you completely brushed me aside when I said, how do you know a hitman? So am I, is there some like mafia connection?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's weird. I, uh, should, I, I there, no, should I
0: be scared? Should I be scared with Tony?
1: <laughs> no, just uh, know that I'm not going to pay you back the $1,000. <laughs> and now you know why.
0: <laughs> did, you gr- did you grow up in that kind of neighborhood where there was like that stuff going on? I don't know much about Chicago. I just yeah. know that I've had a lot of guests from Chicago, apparently, yeah. on the show. You did? All I right. did, yeah. You're like, I'm a tr- I am was a truck driver. No <laughs> questions.
1: Well, I was a teamster, actually. I started out driving trucks for Home Depot. And then Sometimes
0: I-, I would get envelopes <laughs> to
1: deliver. Yeah. No, it's uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in is a neighbor called, well, I grew up in a couple of different neighborhoods, but I spent a large time in a neighborhood called Berwyn, which is a really eclectic, kind of bohemian neighborhood that's got kind of low, well, there were nice mid, mid to high level, not high level, I'd say mid-level outfit guys. It's not Mafia in Chicago, it's outfit. And um, the real made guys uh, were in River Forest for that crew. There were five crews and, sh- and made like, legit crews. So
0: everyone knows what's going on and knows that. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, so, like, sounds like a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Are you writing this on now, your board? Now you, now
1: you know why I'm making money.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, there was stuff like that going on. I grew up in New Orleans. and there Of was,
1: course. It's fucking corrupt as shit in New Orleans. There was stuff like that. delicious food.
0: There was stuff like that going on, but I was so the
1: food is so good that you you don't give a fuck that, <laughs> that Ray Nagy's robbing the city blind.
0: <laughs> um, I had friends who had parents who were like doing shady stuff, and my friend, my dad was friends with the sh- the sheriff of Jefferson, not um, Harry Connick, Jr., not Harry Senior, but uh, which is weird. Like a lot of people always say, like they're worried about like oh were, were you like was there like a lot of racism in louisiana and louisiana is one of those really super weird eclectic places like when i was there or right after i left actually it was the only state where so bobby jindal was yeah yeah you know like our indian governor and republican then republican too yeah and then yeah a, a republican indian governor yeah and then uh you know for over 20 years sheriff harry lee was the sheriff of jefferson parish which is the count uh well you guys call it counties next to new orleans and he was uh like 250 pound Chinese dude That's <laughs> great And uh, we had a female senator And it was It's just like a weird
1: New Orleans a- has always seemed to me I, I think because they construe it Maybe with the South But it's so Like I worked on a show Called Breakout Kings with shot in Baton Rouge Yeah 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 And I had never Like I thought I'm from Chicago I'm like Bears fans Yeah Fuck <laughs> Man, the LSU folks do not fuck around like they that. They do
0: not. That
1: is a ridiculous. Like, every single part, like, it was, like, <laughs> you would get a ticket if you left the house and you weren't in LSU gear. It was insane. <laughs> like, literally, the cops would be like, pull me over and be like, what the fuck, boy? And I'm like, I'm, I'm here working on a show. All right, you get a pass. <laughs> Like, but it was where is
0: your tiger's polo?
1: Yeah, (laughs) insane. Like church, ridiculous. And then I drove down to uh, New Orleans for the day, and I met my pal Jack McGee down there, who's uh, just—I don't know if you ever met him. Super cool guy. And man, the food. I I uh, actually—I thought I was having a heart attack. (laughs) but it turns out I was passing a gallstone but I didn't know that and I collapsed like in front oh, of the doors I'm
0: sorry to laugh at this but I can oh, just no. imagine you eating like some fried shrimp po'boy or something no I hadn't
1: gotten there yet I was driving like I thought I was having a heart attack Friday in Baton Rouge and I'm like fuck it I'm not dying before I see Jack in New Orleans because I love the food so much that I've tasted like northern versions of it but never had the real deal never yeah. been on Bourbon Street never been to like we went uh, to some place on magazine yeah and oh since but here so I, I'm I'm not dying until I fucking. and of course I can't <laughs> Tell my wife Because she would tell me To go to the hospital Immediately <laughs> so I make it through the night I'm driving What is it like Maybe two hours From Baton Rouge to, It's uh, like yeah Two hours Hour
0: yeah. and a half Two hours
1: So I finally get in there I check into the hotel I take one walk Through the French Quarter And I just gotta take a knee and I'm like fuck I'm having a heart attack All
0: right, so what was the meal you had what was the meal you well, wait had so I called the, the
1: set medic because I told the, I told the set medic in Baton Rouge I go listen I'm not gonna fucking I go I think I'm having heart attacks but I gotta go meet. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sky. <laughs> but I restaurant. need
0: to eat gumbo
1: yeah So I said, God damn it, I'm going to eat fucking gumbo in New Orleans if it kills me, and it literally might. It literally fucking might kill me. So I said, you need to give me the name and number of someone I can call because I am not going into an ambulance in the French Quarter and winding up in some fucking swamp doctor with a a rusty saw that's like, we'll fix it. You know, so I'm like, I take a knee and I'm like, I'm going down. I got to go to the emergency room. So she's like, "Hold on, I'll call." And she called, like she was dialed into like the Saints doctor or something. He <laughs> worked like twenty minutes away. So I'm like pounding my chest, driving oh, to this my medical God. emergency place, and he's driving to go meet me there. And I collapse oh, on the in front of the emergency room doors. The doctors come out, they grab me, they throw me on a gurney. They don't know what the fuck's going on. And as they're walking me on the gurney, and I'm sobbing because I feel I'm think I'm I'm gonna die. They show me this pain chart with ten faces. One is smiling. <laughs> and, And they're like, which one of these are you? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, I'm strapped to a gurney sobbing. Whatever face that is. Whatever number. I'm like, look at my face. I'm purple and weeping. So put that number down. Whatever that is. And uh, I went in. They shot me up with these steroids. And they're like, you passed a a gallstone. And I'm like, fuck. They're like, you got to get your gallbladder out. That's before the guy goes, oh, I just looked at your liver numbers. You got hep C. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, you got hep C. And I'm like, god damn it. I go, I, I know read. so I'm like what do I do now he goes well you got hep C and you need to get your your uh your gallbladder taken out so I'm like fuck man I gotta t-. I'm like how the fuck did I get hep C you know he's like I don't know but you got it <laughs> so I'm like Jesus Christ how do you get hepatitis C I don't have it <laughs> I don't have it so I went well, through this whole time there's <laughs> no way that I got fucking hep C so I went back to my doctor and they're like well they didn't say anything about my my uh gallbladder and and they, they go you got hep C your liver shutting down So I'm like, what? And so when I got back to L.A. and saw my doctor, he's like, you don't have hep C. (laughs) You have high, they're called bilirubin numbers, your liver. I learned all this the hard way. He goes, because your bile ducts are overproducing because your gallbladder is blocked with gallstones and so your liver's Working double time That's why your liver Numbers are high So I don't have hep C You're like oh my god How do I get hep I'm C I'm like I gotta tell My fucking wife I got hep C She's not gonna believe me Like I had a mysterious Miraculous hep C infusion So the guy's like Whatever you do Do not And I have like Hospital bracelets On my wrist He's like don't eat Any fucking spicy food <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. He's like, whatever you do, seriously. He's like, I'm going to let you out of here, and we shot you up with stewards. You cannot eat any (laughs) spicy foods. I'm like, all right, I got you. I drive from the emergency room down to magazine- and I meet Jack and he's like what happened I'm like man I thought I was having a heart attack this is a crazy fucking story I'm like and what did
0: you eat and what did you eat oh
1: I had like uh, I had gumbo you just
0: drank a bottle of Tabasco
1: (laughs) yeah it was weird it was fucking amazing they cooked everything in these (laughs) copper pots oh they weren't fucking around I even went over to the chef and I'm like dude you're You're so fucking gifted, man.
0: All right, I'll have to have you and your wife over, and I'll make you guys some southern food, real southern. Oh, nice, yeah. Because I have some of the recipes, and by the way, I could have told you never to go to a doctor in Louisiana. At 15 years old, I was a candy striper and performing surgery. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, my dad wanted me to be a doctor, and uh, I was volunteering. um, I was volunteering at the hospital and
1: uh, doing surgeries. Well,
0: so my dad's my dad's like, if you want to be a doctor, you have to do patient contact. No, because because you Is he could be a doctor. No, <laughs> he was a biomedical engineer, but he wanted me to be a doctor. So you could either work in the gift shop or you could work with patient contact. We're in the gift shop,
1: or surgery.
0: <laughs> so I was working in outpatient. I was working in the surgery department, helping people get back. You know, like bringing them food and other stuff. And the doctors would be like, "Hey, Rosie, <laughs>
1: you want to help?" <health?" laughs> Oh, my God.
0: Do not have surgery in Louisiana. People A 15 year old Vietnamese girl will be sewing you up who has no credentials. I was like, no, I saw sex change operations. I walked in on a woman. This is when I realized I never, ever, ever, ever wanted to work in the medical field. I walked in on a man um, with a tube in his throat that he had ripped out and he was fell collapsed off the toilet. So it was in a pile of his own shit. With blood squirting out of his neck like a zombie on freaking like,
1: what was this in that he was waiting in the emergency room? No, so
0: he was in the bathroom and he kept ringing, ringing, ringing the emergency cord, and the nurses had c- come to the point of ignoring him because he had done it so much. So they sent the candy striper and they go, Rosie, go see what he wants. I walk <laughs> in. I think I may have been fourteen actually, because you could serve <laughs> candy striping at fourteen. I Jesus walked in. Christ. He was on the ground covered in his own shit. He had a tube going in his neck, which he had pulled out when he fell down, and there was blood squirting out of his
1: neck. What did you tell the nurses?
0: I just walked in. I was completely silent, almost started screaming, and went back to the nurse's station. I was like, I think that you guys need to go in there.
1: And call me when you need me to do surgery. And
0: call me when you need me
1: to do (laughs) surgery.
0: Do not get surgery in Louisiana. Do
1: not start surgery without me. I'm going to finish my candy striping rounds. Please prep my patient. (laughs)
0: it was bad the things that they would have me do it was bad <laughs> they were just shit. like they were like can you do this we're too lazy to do this and i was like i'm 14 they're like oh they're, they're like you're good
1: <laughs> holy shit <laughs> don't get
0: surgery in louisiana especially in new orleans especially in new orleans. and i worked at a good hospital i didn't even work at charity <laughs> or like I, it was a private it was a private I hospital. don't have
1: candy stripers. <laughs> 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 all
0: right we're gonna wrap up do you have anything else to promote
1: uh, just the Twitter account, which is at Mick Betancourt, M-I-C-K-B-E-T-A-N-C-O-U-R-T. And you can go to the Mick Betancourt show. You can find it on, uh, I, on iTunes or on Stitcher. So please leave a review. I'd love to send you a shirt.
0: Yes. And also he's doing free sponsored ads so if you have a cool company make sure it's cool though don't promote your weird dildo company
1: no if you're doing (laughs) you know if you're a community business and and um i'd love to hear from you or if you're an independent filmmaker or a band or whatever i'm really just trying to build a a, a cool community of like-minded people that just really want to um experience their own lives and um have kind of a do-it-yourself mentality so reach out to me at the Betancourt show at gmail.com
0: That is awesome. And guys, visit outoftheboxpodcast.com and click on the donate button if you want to help support the podcast. Do it.